Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At least two ideas, two alternatives at the same time, and then ask the students for themselves to make up their minds as to which one makes more sense and give good arguments why you would be generating the scientists of the future, not the people who can do mathematics, you know, in their sleep or the ones who um, uh, can memorize uh, whole pages of information and regurgitate it in exams. I mean, I'm sure I pissed off a lot of people tonight. I, I, I've exposed things that are shocking. Well, that's, that's okay. That, that's yeah. going to happen, David. That's going to happen. And sometimes you're going to step on a few toes. And, and I've never done this before. You're the first show I've ever done this on fully. I don't even have the words at the moment, and that's kind of unusual, people say. Well, do it live! Good for you, you know, standing up for your rights. Because as you said, uh, the freedom of speech is being taken away. I can't really identify the, the systems exactly. Um, I can tell you that they were at least 40 to 50 years uh, in the future compared to everybody else. My God. The technology, uh, just mind-blowing things. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that strange? We were talking about the president and all of a sudden we got cut off. If you can make your voice heard, you can stand up to these things. Well, it's good talking with you, though. You can speak out on these things. You have hunters tried to slam some crazy things, man, in the national plane and also in the waking state. Cool. And he claims that his audience is just as big as Coast to Coast. I can stand up. I can speak out. You guys are truly kicking ass. I can change the world. Some sort of sex operator. He's a sex operator. Sex operator. paranormal, Michael. Are straightforward, uh, straight, I would say straight shooters. I don't want to brag, but by myself, I killed the guy. Well, today I'm going to be about spirit channeling. You were following the train. You would not even know about the secret society. Everybody here joins the best third best show in the world. Before you were born. Charles Jr. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm the host and producer of this wonderful program. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation live and direct right now. The program normally begins... At 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, usually on a Saturday night. However, tonight I find myself in front of this very shiny microphone. You might be wondering why am I live on a Tuesday? These are very special shows, very experimental. I enjoy doing these kind of shows during the week. I'm not even sure if this is permanent. We will find out. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Joining me tonight will be Chris O'Brien from 1992 to 
through 2002. Oh, my goodness. That's a long time. He investigated over 1,000 paranormal events reported in the San Luis Valley. That's located in south-central Colorado, north-central New Mexico. Working with law enforcement officials, ex-military, ranchers, and an extensive network of skywatchers, he documented what may have been the most intensive wave of unexplained activity ever seen in a single region of North America. Of course, his 10-year investigation resulted in the three books of his Mysterious Valley Trilogy. Apparently, there seemed to be a high level of strangeness that have plagued this region. And we'll be talking a little bit about that tonight with him here. He, of course, also authored numerous magazine articles and has appeared in various radio shows. Now, I am running a little late here on the program. I, I do apologize. But once again, thank you, folks, for allowing me here into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. I'm excited to talk to Chris. It's been a long, long time, a very long time, since I've actually heard him anywhere, really. I haven't really heard him too much. It's my fault. I know he's been around all over the place, all over different radio shows, on terrestrial radio, of course. But I've been busy, and I haven't been able to talk to him. And this is the first time I ever get to talk to him, and I'm looking forward to that i'm ex i'm excited i can't even believe it of course this is a name that we've all heard for such a long time how can one not be excited let's give him a buzz here last time he said he was feeling a little under the weather i hope he's okay now maybe he's not yeah sir i was i had to go get my slippers are you feeling okay or, or is everything okay yeah we'll just see how good i do you know uh i was in the hospital for a a week, uh, three weeks ago, and mm -hmm. I went to, to the International UFO Congress and made the mistake of going into the casino. Oh, no. In a restaurant where yes. I thought that there was no smoking, and there wasn't, but I had breakfast, and about an hour and a half later, I started honking up all this really nasty shit. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. So, mm -hmm. I went to the doctor today, and now I'm back on antibiotics and, and steroids and all this crap. Yeah. I was just telling the audience that I haven't really heard you around too often, even though I know you're you're probably on all over all over different shows. However, I haven't had a chance to really listen to see what's been going on with you. And I, I was just telling everybody that the last time we talked, you were feeling under the weather. <laughs> when was that? Uh, well, just a moment ago. Oh, 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 uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm actually feeling, you know, considering I'm I'm actually feeling pretty good compared to how. I have felt um kind of battling this. Um you know, my energy's good, my uh I'm not, you know I'm excited. I was fumbling my lungs don't hurt, I was, that sort of thing. Yeah, I was fumbling my words uh introducing you here because I'm excited to talk to you. It's uh, it's like I said, it's been a long time since I've heard your name being thrown around and it's obviously my fault. And I know you Well actually... no, I just don't go around creating cults of personality and, oh, and yes. promoting myself <laughs> shamelessly like Quite a number of people do in the field. I, I'm just, I, I'm not into that. I'm just into doing the work. You know, if people are interested right. and, and stuff, that's great. But I'm, I don't make my money to pay my yes. bills, uh, doing this kind of work. And, uh, I have a real problem with, uh, grandstanding showboaters who, uh, right. you know, who, gonna, every six months, mm -hmm. eight months, they got to come up with some new 
sensational, you know, mystery-mongering thing to uh, keep their names out in the limelight. I, I'm, I just, I, I don't do that. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, and it's been so long, and I'm so glad I get the chance to now, and we're going to get into that here. However, I, I wanted to go back in time with you just a little bit. I know you had a very personal experience back when you were six years old. Um, can we start from there? Well, yeah, I mean, really not much to say. I mean, I had visitors, you know, in my bedroom as a little kid. Not much to say. That's plenty to me. That's frightening. Well, you know, it's, again, I, it was very, very uh, pivotal in my life. Uh, it was probably the most, the single most intense thing that ever happened to me as a kid. And, uh, you know, people say, well, how can you remember so much detail? It's like, are you, <laughs> you can't forget. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing is just, it's, yeah. It's it, burned it, into your memory for sure. Well, that plus I have a semi-photographic memory, so that, that doesn't help much. <laughs> oh my. So, yeah, it fall, they followed me around my neighborhood. I tried to get in the neighbor's houses, bang on their door. Um, I, I miss, I, my sister, one of my neighbors, you know, the last place that I remember being before my sister found me, uh, the last thing I remember is the neighbor's porch light coming on. And the next thing I, I know, uh, you know, she, my sister said she looked for me for about 20 minutes. I was three houses away across the street, um, actually going the other way. Uh, you know, all the way, uh, back to my house and then, uh, several houses past that. I don't know how I got there. I don't have any memory of that. Um, I was so freaked out when my sister, who was 18, uh, was getting ready to go off to college. Um, I, ref- well, obviously I refused to go back down in my room, which was, we lived in a split level house and my room was in kind of below ground floor, mm-hmm. sort of a half basement. Um, I refused to go back down there for obvious reasons. I don't and, blame uh, you, yeah. And she said, uh, you know, I fell asleep uh, in her bed with her and, and at one point tried to nurse her. <laughs> oh, yes. So I can imagine that, that gives you a little indication of how, right. yes. how traumatic the experience was, even though nothing happened uh, except for them turning sideways and coming through uh, the glow of a streetlight. Um, they came through the light uh, and they they had no depth. Um, they were like two dimensional. They just had uh, width and height. They didn't have any depth. Um, I called them stick men, uh, mm-hmm. spears. They're about the same height as me. I didn't see any, uh, um, clothing. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember, uh, any sort of, uh, features. Um, I think I blocked it out. Where was this, by the way? Sorry. In Bellevue, Washington. Okay. Uh, Washington. Yeah. Uh, uh, years later when I was reading John Keel's book, uh, Operation Trojan Horse, I happened along a little section where he mentioned he had investigated several reports of, of kids in Renton and Issaquah, which are the two towns that surround Bellevue, uh, in that same spring who also had, uh, exact, uh, sounding experience to mine. And one of them even called the little creatures, uh, stickmen, uh, which is the term that I used when I tried to describe it to my folks and, and, and the rest of my family. And the three that were in front, they, they traveled in a group, um, they didn't seem to uh, walk. They kind of moved in a gliding type uh, pattern. They all moved uh, exactly the same, almost like cattails in, in a breeze. Uh, the three in front had little foot and a half, maybe 18 inch uh, high. Um, uh, I call them spears, but they were actually uh, like wands or something. They were. They had glittering uh, multicolored light. 
that was glittering and jumping up and down inside them. That's the only way that I could really get a good look at them. It was three in the morning, so it was pretty dark. Um, but, um, the actual glow from these glow, giant glow sticks was, uh, how I was able to get a good look at them. And, uh, and I've never had any, anything like, well, I, I did have one other thing that happened, but I've never slept walk or had any sort of experience remotely like this, uh, you know, in the ensuing 50, you know, 54 years. Uh, this highly unusual. Of course, my, my parents said, Oh, you were, had a nightmare and you were sleepwalking. Right. Of and, course. Yeah. Um, my little brother, believe me, he was five. <laughs> he thought it was really cool. Actually, uh, I was not exposed to, uh, TV, movies, that sort of thing. We led a very sheltered, uh, had a very sheltered upbringing until we were about eight or nine. By the way, that reminds me, I think Whitley Strieber talks about this. Really? Uh, I, well, maybe some of these cases around that area. In Bellevue, Washington? I think so. I think so. Well, I'd be really interested to know more about that. I, I've read several of Whitley's books. I, I kind of lost interest after, uh, uh, his, his novel, Majestic. I really liked that. And then The Secret School just left me cold. I, I just thought he was, you know, <laughs> again, like we were saying, he was just I might be maximizing con- the potential. <laughs> I might be confusing him for someone, but I think he might have talked about something of that nature in that, in that area. But um, yeah, the only ones I've ever heard uh, reports were, uh, like I said, from um, from Keel's book. Yeah, maybe I'm confusing him. I'm not sure. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get into all of that in, in a moment here. But carry on. Well, I mean, that's 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 it. I mean, uh, what when about I was your... a very bright kid, I learned to read, you know, when I was three. Uh, I was drawing mm-hmm. with vanishing point perspectives in kindergarten. Uh, very, very bright. Um, just read voraciously. Of course, this totally... Um, changed my life in terms oh, of, of my, my reality view. I mean, from I then imagine. on, I knew that uh, we weren't alone, that there was something going on. I was really upset that <laughs> no matter how many times I asked them to say something or talk to me or, you know, what do you want? Or, you know, I was kind of yelling at them uh, to try to get them to uh, respond or something. They seemed, they seemed almost like, a, I don't know, um, biological robots or something. They absolutely devoid of any, any semblance of emotion um, I, I never, I, I can't recall eyes really. I think I blocked maybe some details out. Uh, I've never even come close to having, uh, any sort of desire to be regressed or anything like that. Yeah. And, I was just uh, about to ask you any strange dreams. No. Uh, All normal. I mean, I've had lots of strange dreams, but nothing, nothing like that. Yeah. No. Nothing related. I, I was actually, a, uh, regressed, uh, when I was 13. I, I was so bored in school that I was, kind of messing up and, and, uh, and just, you know, not paying attention. I was very, um, I guess they would call it, um, attention deficit disorder now, but, oh, yes. <laughs> but my parents, uh, decided I needed some motivational help. So they arranged for, um, you know, one of the guys on my soccer team, Bob Berkland, his dad, Buzzy Berkland was the chief orthopedic surgeon for the U.S. ski team. And his dad, Dr. Ivor Berkland, was the first licensed hypnotherapist in the United States. And so I was taken to his office um, when I was 13 for a motivational, you know, hypnotherapy session. And um, I seem to remember that the session ended early. My mom seemed very upset. Was uh, this because you, was, was this because you told them about your experience? I, you know, he may have asked questions about that. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't know. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, I don't remember anything about the session except for him counting backwards. And he had a weird, uh, one of those, <laughs> I thought it was really dumb, 
one of those uh, swirling spiral things, <laughs> which I thought was yes. stupid. It was like something out of a, a Marx Brothers movie or something. Uh, but evidently it worked. And uh, uh, he did re- make a reel-to-reel recording, I seem to recall. Uh, and I, I asked if, if I could hear it, and she said, no way. <laughs> My mom's – and I never went back. It was supposed to be the first of several sessions and uh i never went back that was the only time mm. so i'm not sure you know i was adopted so maybe uh they tried to regress me back to ask me questions about uh before me and my brother were adopted i i i'm just guessing but uh my mom was upset um at the end of the session and i wasn't uh i was never taken back so maybe something did come out during that session i i'm i'm just guessing that's uh, really interesting i i wonder if you can go back and get those tapes I have no idea. Ivor Berkman back then was in his probably in his seventies, and that was in. See, that would oh, have yeah, been. Oh, that's probably long gone. Never mind. Like that was sixty nine, seventy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who knows and, what happened to those tapes? Yeah, I, I have no idea. Uh, maybe you know, I could probably try. I haven't talked to Bob, my my soccer buddy, in years, but yeah, maybe. Who knows? Maybe there is an archive or something. He he was quite a, uh, you know, he was a who's who. Uh, therapist uh being the first licensed uh, hypnotherapist in the country definitely and you also later actually you know what going back before i even skip forward here going back what about your sister how is she today well she she remembers uh the experience when i first brought it up after many many years um you know, she said, oh, well, you were, you obviously were just sleepwalking and stuff. Uh, but then when I reminded her of some of the details, she did kind of think it was strange. Um, but she always just kind of assumed a mundane explanation, which, you know, she probably, you know, was justifiably so she should have. But, um, she did, she did remember it. I mean, it was, it was definitely <laughs> memorable to <laughs> be running around in your 90 looking for your little six year old brother, seven year old brother. <laughs> so. Yeah, that is pretty funny. What about today? Are you still in contact with her? You're in good relations with her? Not really. Um, no, my, my parents were, were very successful. My dad was a who's who architect and they, they, he made a lot of money. He was worth millions. And, um, there was just some weirdness about how my mom died. I think, uh, there was some, uh, foul play involved. Oh, uh, no. and it may have involved my, you know, my dad and, uh, there was just some real inconsistencies in the crime scene and, and, uh, you know, the detectives could never really prove anything, but the very fact that I even, uh, had suspicions totally disenfranchised, uh, myself and my brother from him. And so my sister kind of helped write me out of the, out of the will. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> and instead of getting, you know, being in a, a, a pretty, uh, cushy trust and I all that, now, uh, yeah. you know, oh, I, no. you know, they sort of snubbed you then. Well, more than that. <laughs> well, I was just putting it nicely. Well, he, I took myself out of the home when I was 15. I, okay. I remanded myself back to state care because of physical and psychological abuse and other things, which, you know, probably I don't want to bore people with a bunch of, you know, drama and all that sort of thing. But I've been on my own since I was 15, pretty much. Wow. So. No, that's interesting. I don't think you're boring people at all. Well, you know, it's I don't think whatever. we hear too many stories about people being on their own at 15. And that's kind of wild. Yeah, I became a, 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 a cowboy slave on a Appaloosa show horse ranch. Yeah, by the way, that cowboy had in that photo, 
Um, I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I, I can never wear a hat like that. <laughs> well, I've had that for years. That's kind of my costume. It's kind of your gimmick there. Yeah. Well, nice. I wouldn't call it a gimmick. Just sort of my costume look. Uh, it's what I wear when I do my my tour guide work. And, nice. Yeah. And oftentimes, if TV shows will let me wear a hat, of course mm-hmm. that'll be the hat I wear. I've, I've been on so many shows. You really have now actually. They, you know, you have to fight to be able to wear a hat because they're. You know, they're just very anal about hats, I guess, now. They're not that fashionable or something. I don't know. I always wear a hat. Understood. So when was it when you moved away from Washington? Right out of high school, 75. Where'd you go? New York City. Mm -hmm. I got a, you know, I went to college in New York City and and was there for 12 years and then uh, lived in Boston. I got hired by a a band up in uh, Cambridge and decompressed for a couple of years and moved out to Colorado where I did, you know, really began all my investigative work sort of was almost kind of forced into it. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk about that. Your musical career that seemed to blossom there, right? Not as much as I would have liked. Um, we were stupid to turn down a, a record deal. Um, Vanguard records, which of course is very famous for their jazz artists over right. the years. They, um, you know, with the whole new wave thing that was happening and, and, uh, dance, sort of electronic dance music and, and, you know, the, the new wave sort of rock club type scene that was happening, you know, coming over from England and stuff and a lot of uh, stuff that was happening in New York. They decided to start a rock label or a division of their, of their record company. And we were one of the first bands offered a deal, but we turned them down because they only offered us 10 grand and that doesn't go very far with five people. <laughs> right. So we turned them down like idiots. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Thinking yeah. that we were going to get somebody else to, you know, pony up uh, some dough and give us a good advance and all that. And uh, I, I ended up, uh, you know, I was with a, a very talented singer and Songwriter and, uh, what did you, you know, do? Did you play, songs. did you play oh, guitar or bass? No, oh, you're okay. You're a keyboardist. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Still am. Yeah. You actually sent me some music that you made. Yeah. Just so I don't even remember what I sent. Uh, I think one thing was Desert Moon, which is that's the one. Uh, yeah. Sampled. That's the one I wanted to play. Yeah. I sampled, uh, Neil Armstrong sort of given a blow by blow account of manually landing the, uh, the eagle and, uh, that was just kind of a, a trance jam that, that I came up with. And then, uh, see what else is in there. Then there's, um, kind of a, a Arabic funk thing that I did that has, uh, uh, I think it has, is that the one, does it have, is that the, the, the mix with all the ghost voices in it? I, I forget. I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, and then what else did I send? Um, uh, I, I forget. I don't even remember what all I sent. I could go look real quick. Uh, yeah, you sent me a few things. I'll definitely play those here like, on the I air. It's like like three things, I think. I mean, I got hundreds, <laughs> but who's counting? Um, yeah, so yeah. you were doing this for a couple years, um, playing gigs, trying to scrape by, correct? Um, actually, you know, I, I had a really good job. Uh, you know, I was uh, director of visual merchandising for the oldest, uh, most prestigious electronics retailer in the world. And made really good money and, you know, was in charge of, I was the only window designer in Manhattan that wasn't gay. That wasn't um, gay, really. There's a lot of, um, gays in that, in that department during that time. Uh, yeah. Really? I, I have no today. idea. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gay window designers in New York, uh, and San oh, Francisco well, too, I bet. I, well, when you put it that way, I guess, I guess you're right. 
Uh, I, I know I'm right. I guess you're right about that, <laughs> yes. I was the only one I ever met that wasn't gay. Sure. And I hated going to parties and people would say, oh, he does windows. And, and they go, oh, you do? And I'd say, no, I don't. Well, I do windows, but I don't do that. <laughs> That's so funny. I had a hot girlfriend, you know. No, homie, homie didn't go there. If I was gay, right. I'd be a very wealthy man right now. <laughs> I was pretty hot when I was younger. When I was a model. You, and, I was going to say, you did some modeling, right? My yeah, goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Gillard Gillaroos. I I did. I never went to a ghosty. I didn't get the job. Hell, I was a sax player for Cool Cigarettes. Uh, I was a drummer for Electric Voice Microphones. Uh, oh, very cool. Leather clothing for the leather warehouse. Uh, nice. I was in Ghostbusters nine and a half weeks. I did Ghostbusters. Really? A couple Hall and Oates videos. Uh, My goodness. So yeah, I, you know, you were all over I the went place. To acting school and stuff. HB acting school. Where was that at? In, in New York. In the village, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I lived in Manhattan for like 10 years. You know, that reminds me, that's where Whitley Strieber talked about uh, some sort of sighting near his cabin in that area. I had a sighting in New Paltz in 79, my first real yeah, sighting. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was thinking about right now. That That's where it was. It was somewhere in New York, that's where he witnessed something yeah, pretty yeah, crazy. Yeah, that Yeah, that's what it was. What, what, what was that? What, what was your experience like? Uh, it was pretty, pretty wild. Um, we went to a Gentle Giant concert. And, uh, there were seven of us. By the way, let me stop you there. Um, did you partake in any fun in the parking lot? Uh, yeah. How, m- myself, my okay. girlfriend and my brother did, but the other four people didn't. Oh, then that's not good for them. Well, they missed a good time. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Um, we didn't know that they were going to be there. If we had, uh, I would have gotten some for, for them, but, mm, but understood. You know, I just happened to run into him and I, I don't like to run around. You know, back then I'd right. like carrying, carrying stuff around. Mm-hmm. It was starting to get a little bit dicey. This would have been set, uh, third weekend of September 79. Oh my. But, um, I was absolutely faced on some really good window pane. Mm. And, um, after the concert, we went down to hang out because we were waiting for somebody to show up and give us a ride or, or we were going to follow them to a party. Ah, I see. Yes. Out in the woods. So we were hanging out on the football field, laying down and, Oh my, yes. Good times. And, uh, wow. I happened to look up and I noticed that there was a group of stars that were kind of slightly milling around. And so I went to, uh, one of the people I, I said, Hey, uh, look right up there. Do you notice anything? And it was one of the people that wasn't tripping and they, they looked for a while and they said, yeah, those, those that group of stars right there is kind of moving around. And I said, yeah, okay. I was just, I was just wondering if it was me or not. And so we, we asked everybody to look and, and sure enough, these stars just were kind of just slightly moving around. Uh, not, not real, you know, not real, um, obviously they were just, it was kind of like the bumblebee effect, but times, uh, six or seven. Yeah. And, uh, and so my brother decided that we should try an experiment. So, um, what we did was we, um, he put, he put his back to the group so he couldn't see what we were doing. And, um, we, we traced out shapes on the football field laying down. Uh, the first one we did was a triangle, I think, and then a square, then a circle. And, um, as we did, um, each of the shapes, the, the lights in the sky mirrored what we were doing. So we, <laughs> interestingly enough, it was wow. some kind of like a Stephen Greer-esque, uh, you know, CE4 or something. And, uh, uh, you know, my brother who wasn't looking at what we were doing was calling out just as kind of a, 
double blind type situation. He was saying, okay, now they're in, now they're in a triangle. And then, which I, I, I suggested we try to do three wavy lines, but we, <laughs> it didn't work. Uh, and then somebody said, uh, one of the girls said, well, why are you up so high? Why don't you come closer? And, and all of a sudden all the lights seemed to be rushing down towards us because they were getting brighter. And somebody said, not, not that close. And, and they stopped and then, uh, kind of slowly went back up. And so we, I, I don't really, really remember much, uh, how long we were there. It wasn't very long because I think the people showed up and we, we went off to the party. <laughs> ah, very cool. But at least you, at least you experienced there, the lights, the lights were gone. Right. But at least you experienced that with multiple people. So, you know, that's oh, yeah. always, that's oh, always great. great. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first real, real sighting that I remember. I may have had another one or two when I was mm-hmm. growing up, but, but, uh, nothing like that. It, it didn't really, you know, it could have been, could have been just my imagination or it could have been. Sounds pretty one, exciting uh, though. A slow moving meteor that, that didn't seem like a meteor, but, um, that's what my folks said it was. So, yeah, well, you know, I just went with them. Well, whatever it was, it was, it was a pretty great sight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But, um, you know, before we, we, Go forward. I do want to go back to the music really quickly here. Just in your opinion, I, I wanted to know what you thought of today's music of, of the mainstream uh, musical scene today. Are, are you listening to any of that music? Um, or you know, I, I kind of, you know, touch, touch bases uh, every now and then. I've got, I've got real problems with, uh, you know, I, I was in the Bronx. Um, I would go to block parties with, with Grandmaster Flash and Africa Bombada and Sugar Hill Gang back in the late 70s. Um, I lived actually up in uh, in the Bronx uh, for two years while I was going to college before I moved down to Manhattan. And uh, I got turned on to the whole hip-hop scene uh, when it was still really underground. And... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, when it comes to hip hop, I'm, I'm more old school. Um, I think today. You actually um, sent me a, a, a sample of, of, I'm not sure what, but it had a hip hop type feel to it. Yeah, that was the, the Harriman Hyden. That's, that's kind of an Arabic groove thing, uh, sort of a, uh, you know, a downbeat, um, kind of thing. I, I've been, I've been working for years on a whole bunch of, of, of kind of cool Arabic funk grooves that was pretty stuff. cool I, I was in a funk band uh in new york i was the only white boy in the in the band i played keyboards and um we used i used to rehearse in bed style take you know my oh, keyboards nice. on the train and get off and all these abandoned i play uh, buildings and i play bass by the and, way so uh, i could i was uh, really really paranoid but yeah. the, my first trip but <laughs> the people there were so amazed <laughs> to, to walk around with thousands of dollars worth of equipment to yes. actually help carry it <laughs> I was gonna and, say uh, we rehearsed in an abandoned building, then we strung, you know, a, a big power cord from a, the building, the you know, the tenement building door that had electricity. It actually was a place where Living Color, uh, the black kind of thrashy uh, metal band from the eighties, yeah, uh, oh, yes. used to play. And the, right. the drummers uh, for Living Color, his little brother was the drummer in this band. So, um, I used to go there and. And rehearse and the kids would help, help carry my equipment stuff, uh, to and from the train. And, and I got on really good with, uh, with, with the brothers. Uh, I love, I love funk music. Um, I always, I always did from back in the seventies. I was a big Sly and the Family Stone fan and Larry Graham. And you know, I'm, I was going to ask you really quickly. I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah, I played in a, in a band myself. I, I played bass. Um, I was just curious. Um, in your experience, is it true that all drummers are crazy? Um, 
seems like everyone you know, I asked if, thinks If I so. had to look at each type of musician, I'd say that the the largest percentage of crazy off the wall <laughs> musicians, the largest percentage are drummers. Yeah, I mean I've had some drummers who are very. Uh, you Everyone know, says so. Uh, yeah, well, I, 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 not crazy, but but I, I have though. had a lot of drummers who were just totally, you know. I mean, I don't totally know what it is. I don't know what it is. They're they're always insane. Every drummer I've ever met. Well, they, they kind of have schizophrenic tendencies because you got to have you know four independent limbs. Uh, number one, so that that kind of sort of is an indication of of some. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> schizophrenic tendencies, shall we say? They're pretty nutty. Every single one I've met, it it, it never fails. Yeah, well, I, no, I, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, I have known some crazy ones. Yeah, we'll, we'll be sure. fair. We'll just say it's 50-50. Well, I'd say a sizable percentage of them have uh, issues. <laughs> and singers, uh, for the most part, are all prima donnas and, and never help carry gear and always are hiding when, when shit heavy lifting needs to be done. Guitar players tend to be a little on the prima donna-ish side, if they're really good, especially. Uh Keyboard players never get fired. They always quit. <laughs> that was in the quitting. Yeah. Yeah. Keyboard players hardly ever. Uh, I, don't, I can't even think of one keyboard player that was fired. Uh, they always seem to quit. Do you remember your last gig playing keyboards for someone there? Oh, uh, yeah, I do. Uh, it was Halloween uh, at Lake Havasu. Uh, cool. uh, Black Raven got together and we did a private party. And the drummer and uh, guitar player in Black Raven, which is a, a progressive Native American instrumental kind of Rock band. So you guys were just um, jamming, huh? World class flute player. Um, the, uh, brothers, the drummer and guitar player are, uh, founding members of Armored Saint, which is the last surviving LA hair metal band that never broke up or changed members. And, um, and so <laughs> they, you know, they're, I think they're on tour with Saxon right now and they toured last year all over Europe and stuff with Metallica. They're really good friends with, with James and that's cool. And, uh, Lars and stuff. Uh, in fact, they they were one of the first bands that Metallica really uh, connected with once they come come back to L.A. from San Francisco and were back into the L.A. scene. Um, and so they've been friends for 30 years. And, and uh, of course, Metallica's done very, very well. And Armored Saint really never really had a breakout album or anything, but they never broke up. They always continued. They stayed They're together. The only one. All the others are gone or had, had you know, yeah. long periods where they were dormant. Um, their last album, it's very, actually, uh, was the yeah. biggest selling album they'd ever had. It's very, un- it's very uncommon for bands to stay together for that long. For those yeah, especially, who don't especially know. metal bands. Yeah, I mean, it just they just come and go all the time. Well, look it up, Armored Saint, and look at some of the, uh, I mean, great videos from their last album. Their last album actually was the biggest selling album of their career. So anyway, you know, it's well, it's, it's Gonzo and Phil. Um, Sandoval, they're very, very accomplished, uh, players, obviously. Uh, Phil's a world-class, uh, shred, shredder guitar player, uh, can play, you know, he's every bit as good as Kurt Hammond or any, any of those guys. Um, but he's also a killer acoustic player and, and, nice. you know, his brother, uh, Crazy Gonzo, um, the drummer, uh, can play any, any kind of, you know, percussion, um, indigenous uh, percussion, whether it's talking drums or doombecks or, you know, kungas or whatever. I mean, he's, he's very accomplished. So. He's versatile. So yeah, Chris, so when they're not doing the Armored Saint thing, uh, we're doing uh, Black Raven. Yeah, you guys are mixing it up pretty well there. By the way, um, so what are you listening to now, Chris? Um, Well, getting back to your, your question about uh, music today, I think, uh, you know, I... 
hell, I had the very first digital uh, sequencing software in 79, 80 uh, that was co-designed by Roger Powell from Todd Rungan's Utopia, uh, the Dr. T's uh, sequencer software. And I had a Commodore 64. This is back in 80. And so, you know, I learned about sequencing and arpeggios and arpeggiation and all that sort of thing uh, right. at the very beginning. And now, of course, with desktop, uh, with Logic, you know, Pro and, you know, just all your desktop, you know, whether it's... Yeah, endless tools, uh, yeah. Ableton or um, Logic X or mm-hmm. um, Pro Tools or whatever, um, people are sucking the soul out of music. Everything. They really are. They, you know, they're sampling everything. so everything. perfect. Yeah. Uh, that it, that it's just, it's so sterile and, and it's just, it, they've sucked all the life out of the, you know, that, that, that kind of quality of, of people actually playing off one another and improvising that sort of thing. There's just none of that now. And, you know, you listen, Katy Perry or any, any of these, these pop stars and, and it all sounds the same, has the same exact sound and everything is just, is just, Tits on, uh, there's no variation, uh, there's no, there's no soul to music now. And, and I think for the most part, hip hop is just, you know, who can come up with a, a different way to do the same old hip hop beats and, uh, True. and then, you know, rap some misogynist, uh, you know, very unevolved speak poetry over the top. You know, when Sergeant Pepper came out and I was 10, you know, the whole, I watched the whole world walk around, you know, on, on their tiptoes. You know, everybody had their heads in the clouds for a couple of weeks. And, you know, my dad said, the Beatles, that's not music. I mean, how can you call that music? And I remember thinking to myself, man, when I'm his age, I'll never say that about kids' <laughs> music. <laughs> I don't even think hip hop is music, uh, to be honest with you. I think it's just, uh, it's, you know, urban poetry over, uh, the same old boring, you know, beats. There's a few people that bring a little bit of uh, creativity into it, but it, it's 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 just rehashing. It's kind everything. of all, yeah. It's kind of all been said and done, right? <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's spinning its wheels. I don't I don't see it going anywhere. And I just I'd be tickled to see all these kids, you know, who've grown up on hip hop, you know, when they're in their 80s and 90s in wheelchairs and nursing homes, still making the same thing to, to Jay Z yeah. and right and uh, you know. Eminem or something on their, their, uh, you know, with their, you know, direct implanted, uh, earbuds in their brains. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I just think that music has lost, uh, popular music has lost its soul. There's, there are exceptions there. Yeah, there's you know, a few independent artists obviously. out there. I mean, for there sure. is some good stuff out yeah. there, but the stuff that's, that's actually, uh, really super popular, I just, I really don't, don't care for it too much. And unfortunately, because of file sharing and, and stuff, uh, it's almost impossible, uh, to be a musician now and, and to make money without touring and it really make is. money on touring yeah. and, and live stuff and merchandising. That's the only way you can make money now, uh, unfortunately. I'll say this though, I'll, I'll just mention this, um, SoundCloud, that's a great way to yeah, discover, yeah, it's a great way to discover independent artists and yeah, I, no, I used I, to, I, I yeah, it, but you know, it's, it's almost impossible it's, to make money. It anyway. really is. You can't make money in the music industry anymore. Yeah. My last solo album had a donation it's button. I just gave it away and just said, Hey, please tighten me up with something. You know, and, and people do. I, I think they're, uh, there's a good band that I really like out in San Francisco called Liquid Scene, uh, who use all the old, uh, 60 style instruments and, uh, you know, two gear and old, uh, you know, old song boxes and stuff. And they record analog on, old two inch tutors, uh, studer, uh, tape machines and stuff. And they, they kind of do, uh, sort of retro, uh, nouveau 60s psychedelic music. Um, nice. 
Yeah, you can't go wrong with any tube compression, which is what I use here. Yeah, well, I do too. I, I mean, I've got a, a, a Luxman that's got a tube preamp and gotta stuff. Gotta have that. For the studio. And, Very important, yeah. Yeah, and I got an old, uh, an old, uh, Carver, uh, receiver that I use for my power amp that's got a, a tube uh, preamp stage. Very nice. Now, this also reminds me, since we're having this conversation, it also goes along with how I feel about the movie industry right now. It seems like well, everyone's kind of rehashing the same old thing. And well, they're, they're re- trying to reboot 70s TV shows even. That I mean, too, ridiculous. yeah. I mean, everybody is so gun-shy. They're so afraid to spend, invest the sh- I want some new ideas. Yeah, we have so many resources and great minds all over the universe here, and, and it seems like we can't come together and, and create some new movies instead of going with the same formula to every goddamn movie out there. It, it's driving me kind of crazy because... Well, there are some. I uh, loved, I really thought Arrival was well oh done. Oh, God. I'm, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm so glad you mentioned that because my last guest, she was talking about that movie, so I went ahead and, and watched some of that, and I just... I like, you know, it was good for a while, and then at the very end, it, it just, it just fell off for me. I, I just couldn't. Yeah, it fell apart. Uh, the oh. ending was, I don't think, was handled well. Um, it hurt me because it, I, I had such, rushed. I had high spirits for that, and then it, it just died off at the end. Well, I, spoiler. You know, I thought, alert. I thought it was for the most part, it was good. It, it was refreshing. It didn't have a lot of, you know, you know, fifty murders per hour, or whatever. Uh, you know, this shoot 'em up, and the same Tycho drums that they just beat. Beat your eardrums into the ground with the same Tycho drum bullshit that's always being pounded. Let me, let me ask you, did you like the aliens in that film? I thought it was cool, yeah. I thought they were uh, kind well of a little like Cthulhu there, looking a little bit yeah. like, yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah, I like yeah, that part. I like that. It wasn't too bad. I love the idea of the, the language with the, uh, with the ink, the, symbol, you know, the, the symbolism. Ink, uh, I really love that, yes. that concept. I thought it was that very, was very cool. good. Right. Um, I thought it was a really good story, but the whole, Time compression thing. I it just didn't I wasn't, for me. It wasn't mm-hmm. explained correctly. It really was. It went over a lot of people's heads. It did because I, I, well, judging from online posts from different places, it seems like some people were kind of confused by that sort of thing by the director. I'm not sure he did a, a great job in how to in, uh, presenting that sort of thing um, from the script to the big silver screen there. Yeah. No, I I agree. Yeah, I, it happens. There though. were some holes in it, but but at least it it it, it was a, a a new and fresh approach um, at a you know a, an old kind of old school topic. Um, you know, I'm I'm involved in in you know I've got my own video production company and I I've been involved in front and in behind the cameras for many years uh, working uh, with Hollywood and. You know, I've got a couple of screenplays that I'd love to uh, to get made, but it's impossible now. It's impossible it really to break in it really is. Uh, to the field. There's just so many people who are so gun shy, and it's so difficult uh, to get people to uh, to commit to things and and to take chances. Um, it, it's really it's really ruining, I think, and running roughshod uh, uh, over creativity. Um, I think in general, and the same goes through with uh, it holds true for. Um, in the publishing business, uh, for books, uh, with oh, the major yes. publishers and also, um, Amazon in the music, just, as we were saying yeah. with the music industry. You, Amazon you have, really makes it difficult for people to get money from their books. Well, it's impossible unless you, unless you self-publish and, that's, and that's uh, the, are really yes. good at marketing. That's what you gotta do. Yep. Yeah, I'm just glad I'm not, you know, trying to pay my bills with my writing and stuff because I'd, I'd be very poor. <laughs> that's impossible nowadays too. It's not impossible. Not but impossible, it's, but it's, it's an uphill it's, battle it's, for it's sure. It's really difficult. Right. Um, 
you know, probably my next book, I'll be, um, I'll be doing print on demand and self publishing because I'm, I'm just tired of, you know, giving away 80%, you mm-hmm. know, and just keeping 20. It, it's just, are you going to put out an audio book? You know, people have asked me to people do like, that. I'm people just, like I that. I'm too lazy. People love that sort of thing. Yeah, I probably should. You know, I've got, yeah, I think so. Especially my first book, um, it kind of lends itself to, cause it is kind of told in a more of a narrative storytelling style. On purpose. Yeah, well, you know what? We'll go, br- we'll go over your, your books here, those three books, the trilogy there briefly. But before we do, I wanted to get into some pressing issues with you here, Chris. So switching, Uh-oh. yeah, switching gears here now with you. <laughs> oh, yes. This might draw us a little bit of heat, but, um, oh well. Some, sometimes you're going to step on a few toes every now and then. Oh, I always do. I stamp oh, on yes. them. Oh, yes. So, Chris, I, I have to tell you, I've always been someone who has been very afraid at times of certain, well, not afraid, that's not a good word. I've been very suspicious and afraid for others who I believe are suspected frauds and hoaxers. And I know, <laughs> and I know you are someone very much like myself in, in that, oh, yeah. in that, um, in that way, in that term. Oh yeah, yeah. Too both fall. cut. Yes, we're both we're both cut from that same cloth, and that's kind of the yeah. reason why I've always liked you. I I get in trouble uh, quite often. Yes, well, me too. And there, there are some people that have been called out that are not, uh, shall we say, uh, very friendly. I understand. So you know, Chris, I've I've gone to many expos and met a number of people, and uh, um, I've always thought in the back of my mind who's real and who isn't. And uh, for the most part, most people I've come across have been pretty genuine. However, let me take you back to the Conscious Life Expo of 2011 when I witnessed Stan Romanek join a panel. <laughs> oh yes, you know where I'm going. So, oh boy. Mm-hmm. So I, I can cover. <laughs> so I go and watch this UFO panel, and Stan Romanek is there, and sitting next to him is Giorgio Giorgio Sukalos. And uh, here they are talking about this and that, and Stan Romanek, it, it comes his turn to get on the mic there, and he starts talking about um, that tape that was on ABC. Do you recall that? He had some yeah, alien, through the, to go on here. alien through the window. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> you recall that? Oh, yeah. I, I've been following Romanek since his very first sighting when he was on the local news in Denver back in 99. So I, I, I've been following okay, so him yes. then you're very familiar. closely for a lot of years. So okay. yes, I do. I'm, I'm aware of, of, of him and pretty much everything that he, he claimed, including his formula, his physics formula that actually had mistakes in it and his current trial for, you know, having child porn on his computer and all yes, that. We'll so get in into fact, that in I think second. the trial is going to recommence on, uh, on Monday. Yeah, so he described events on that uh, panel there, events of the night when he was probed, and Sukalos, if only you could have seen his facial reaction to Mr. Stan Romanik, I, I think you would have died in laughter. And I don't mean to be rude, but I, I literally laughed out loud, and during that time, I actually went with my father, so I was sitting next to him, and me and my dad were the only ones who laughed out loud, and, and Giorgio kind of looked at us and kind of gave us a little nod there but it, it was pretty funny to see that and yeah a little embarrassing though in my part i, I you know a couple of people well number one Giorgio never should have uh, agreed to uh be on the same uh ds as well, uh as romanek it's uh, funny that you say that because during another passing of the microphones there he even said um the opinions of those on this panel and around here in, in the conference are not exactly my own 
and I'm not necessarily yeah. agreeing with with everything said here. And he did he did make a point of, of saying that. So I I, yeah. I think and, yes, he felt that's it. That's the yeah. least he could have done. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my goodness, I, I just wanted to bring that up. And of course, um, he's someone who is facing some very serious charges. Yeah. Yeah. His IP well, address he, was you there. know careful what you wish for. You know the guy obviously. Uh, has some real worthiness issues and really has this uh, need to be uh, someone important and all of that, uh, which is the way with a lot of, of contactees, I think, and a lot of people that actually get into the field of the paranormal is they think that it's an easy way to become, uh, you know, somebody who's noteworthy or someone who's uh, some sort of kind of weird celebrity or, or recognize them. Um, I think a lot of people that get into the field get in uh, for the wrong reasons, and that's one of the, right. the chief wrong reasons. The others that get in uh, to make money um, are the ones that are more prone to um, to really confabulate and and just total total bullshit people. Word. Uh, and and then there's some that are really really good at that, uh, like a David Wilcock. Uh, would be a good example. He's Steve someone. Greer. He's someone. Uh, yeah, these these are people that I was gonna mention here, but just let me quickly say for those who are are completely unaware of Mr. Stan Romanek, he was charged with possession and distribution of child pornography, and of course he yeah. pleaded not guilty to these allegations of these incriminating files that were being shared on his computer. That's his. Well, he said he, he was being set up by the aeros- some aerospace company. Well, here's the thing: those type of things don't just happen by accident. Those kind of no. files don't just easily appear on someone's computer through, I would say, maybe well, a they were there what three bias. years before uh, they they charged him, and and they knew about it three years prior, and uh, wanted to get all their ducks in a row. So it's not like they appeared magically one day and they zoomed, zoomed in the next. That's what I'm. Yeah, that too. But I'm what I'm trying to say is they weren't just placed there via some um, backdoor Trojan virus. Um, like no. you said, they were they were there for a while. And they were accessed by Romanek, too. There you go. So who really knows, right? We can't say he's completely guilty, but we can just say he's guilty. But boy, it sure don't look good. It don't look good, right? They were supposed to actually have the trial this week. It's been put off and put off and put off. Um, and they, um, the prosecution actually told the defense that they were going to delay, uh, the start of the trial because they had to let the, the defense know that they had, um, information that totally trashed their their uh, defense. So. <laughs> oh my! So they have something else on him, basically. Is oh, what no. I guess yeah, the shot of this. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Stan. What can I say? I mean, I I went to uh, there's this paradigm research group. It's a um a, you know kind of a group in in Denver that does a they do a camp out down in um you know they're they're all based in the Denver area and they do a camp out every summer down in the San Luis Valley, where I lived for 13 years and did all my investigative work there in Colorado. They go down to the Great Sand Dunes and have this, you know, couple three day, uh, camp out. And I went down, uh, oh God, this must have been 2005, 2006. So it was a while ago, over 10 years ago. And, uh, this is right when Romanek was starting to become popular. Uh, why well, sorta he was he was becoming notorious. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <that way. laughs> notorious. And he was the featured guest at the, uh, at the uh, the cookout, and oh, I could just Oh, he was tell. a headliner. Yeah, he was. Well, I was a headliner, but you know, you know so what? 
Um, we went sky watching up at Zapata Falls and I was, I had everybody, there was probably 30, 40 people there and I was instructing them to keep, keep quiet, keep calm and just trying to give them instructions on what to do. And Stan set up his Native American flute and his little battery powered amp and his little reverb unit and his delay and, uh, started playing, uh, about a hundred feet away and, uh, you know, was trying to kind of lure them over, sort of play the Pied Piper. And, uh, the fact that, um, you know, I was describing some of the, um, sightings that had happened up there and, and, and where they happened and how to, how to, you know, how to prepare for them and, and stuff because it was location specific and, and, you know, it was reported up there many times. Uh, nobody went over to, li- to sit at his feet and, and worship, genuflect at his, uh, little musical altar there. Oh, I see. And, uh, <laughs> I, he just, he shut everything off and, and sat there and folded his arms and pouted. <laughs> oh, I, I see. Just tell that, That's so you know, funny. the guy really has a major word issues and and has uh, some real major ego uh um you know there's there's some major ego um dysfunction going on there and we'll, we'll get to him in a second here just let me cut you off really quickly here and say that i i attended the conscious life expo this year and guess who i saw there i never thought i would see him again well, not Stan Romanek. Not him, not him. It was Sean David Morton. Oh, God. Can you believe it? In the oh, flesh. Started. In that the guy, flesh. He's got more fucking cojones. Oh. He was wobbling around. This is a podcast and not on the radio. <laughs> he was wobbling around. There's very few people that I would just love to just meet up uh, in a dark alley with nobody around. He's one of them. Can you believe it? He was there, Mr. Sean David Morton. Oh, Dr. Sean David Morton, Dr. PhD. Yeah, PhD. Doctor. The only person I've ever seen put his name up on a screen with Dr. Sean David Morton, PhD. Either you're Sean David Morton, PhD, or you're Dr. Sean David Morton. There's another one that, that give you an idea of, of some really, you know, totally uh rampant ego issues that guy it, he was shouting he in jail he was shouting he and hollering millions of dollars from people he had been arrested for tax fraud well he'd been a, a, arrested by the sec for for um for wall street fraud i mean he he defrauded people out of millions of dollars uh with uh psychic prog- prognostications of of the stock market i don't think he was a speaker either by the way i think he was just a guest at the at the event no, I, I, the very fact that he actually uh, shows that he was—that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm—I'm I'm, I'm sounding the way I am. I was just shocked to see him there. Person, but I'll tell you, there's there's a few people I would just love to meet in a dark alley. <laughs> Don't you think it's ironic? <laughs> Don't you think it was ironic that he got arrested on this conspiracy cruise? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that's a little ironic. It's pretty funny. Justice. I just don't understand why people would want advice that could potentially land you in jail. Well, not land them in jail, land him in jail. I mean, come on, the guy's a smooth-talking, you know, P.T. Barnum, like David Wilcox, another one, Stephen Greer is another one. I mean, I could go I down wouldn't, the list. I wouldn't compare him to, to Barnum, though. I, I don't know. That's kind of pushing it. I, I wasn't I really impressed by everything. it. It's the famous adage that, that Barnum came up with. And, uh, you know, if people are, are dumb enough, well, uh, to allow the, themselves to be built yes. for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in right. some cases. It's their own damn fault if they're stupid enough. This is what I, a charlatan, uh, right, Chris. This is what I say on the show all the time. It's not against the law to profit off of others' ignorance. No, uh, I mean, if you can get away with it and, and, uh, and, and, you know, not break any laws, but he, he broke, you know, blatantly broke, he SEC broke many laws. Yeah, he did. 
you know, and just and 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 just fraud. You know, he he committed just blatant fraud. I mean, I just don't yeah. see why anybody would want him around after all of that. He's just someone that's well, going to cause trouble. Uh, they booked me at a conference, the UFO Con. <laughs> I should have known just by the name, which was a conference that was uh, held many years in San Francisco every year by this very uh, tenuous person who ended up, you know, trashing the conference when she left. Speakers at the airport didn't pay their hotels and they had to pay everything for themselves and the, the thing just fizzled out and a couple of years later, uh, some people picked it back up and, and tried to get it restarted and I got a call from one of them and they said, would you like to speak at, at our conference? And I said, well, it depends on who's going to be there. Who else is speaking? And they said, oh, Richard Dolan and, and Daryl Sims and they rattled off some names of people that, you know, I don't have, you know, major issues Word, with. I yeah. think, you know, sure. there were a couple of names of people that, that I don't particularly agree with what they have to say, but at least mm-hmm. they're honest and, yeah. and uh, at least they're legitimate. And then about a month and a half later, after I'd signed the, the contract, I get a, a just an, a scathing phone call from another uh, researcher friend of mine who I really respect. And he started cursing me out. How dare you? You fucking hypocrite. It's speaking at Alfred Weber's conference. And I said, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. They're advertising your name. You're, they're trying to get people in with you as, as, you know, one of the main people. And so I, he gave me the website and I went there and sure enough, Andrew Basaggio, Weber, uh, Laura Eisenhower, uh, Douglas Dietrich, all these people that I just absolutely can't stand. Oh, your best friends were there. Holy Christ. I, and you know, I'd signed a contract. So I was, I was lassoed. Sean David Morton was the, <laughs> the master of ceremonies. Oh and, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, I went ballistic. I got up there and I just blasted everybody. I said, oh, did you really you ignorant people? Don't you understand what is going on? You're sitting in the pews of a new church of the 21st century. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh, that's so good. That, oh, that went just, over their heads though. Come on. I was so pissed. I'm sure they're not the brightest. No, but at least be a little sharp. You know, at least have a little bit of sharpness. You can't be like a knife. Most people are like deers in the headlights, sir. Well, you know, they've got attention spans of a fucking gnat. That's that's the American culture today. Now it's like an eighth of a second. If that, if you, if you click on something and it don't download immediately, it don't start streaming, you, you're, you're gone. Yeah, we're done. I watch people all the time. You know, and uh, unfortunately, people don't read books. All they do is look for information that resonates with them, that they intuitively feel supports their very uh, Correct. pop culture program reality view. Supports and, their uh, bias. That's why people yes. like David Wilcock and, uh, and Basagio. And David Eisenhower. was there, by the way. David and uh, Laura Eisenhower were there. And, you know, David was... Going around and people seem to be enjoying him there. And I thought, well, my opinion is what he puts out there is it's kind of, kind of like a cult in a way. Exactly. They create cults of personality. That's what I said at the beginning of the show. These it's people, true. he right. makes a ton of money. Um, and it's all done with, uh, just complete bullshit. I don't believe any of it. Is Corey good? And there's a space war going on over our heads, but we can't see it because it's cloaked. And I was on Mars for 20 years. You know, Laura Eisenhower, I went to Mars with, uh, Andrew Basaggio and Barack Obama or Barry Sotero or whatever. <laughs> Ed she James said that? Was, our, was our coach. Our, she really our, said that? My huh? She really said that? Yeah. Oh my God. Now I need to find audio of that and play it here. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you can never get her to finish a sentence. She starts her her talk with one sentence and never finishes it in in an hour. She digresses and off digressions, off digressions. I mean, in five minutes, people just start pouring out of her talk. She's so such a ditz. Oh, my God. At least get your public speaking chops together. I mean, it's just it's embarrassing to listen to somebody like him. Bassaggio, the guy's a, you know, a fairly successful lawyer and he claims he, he was a chrononaut and at six years old, he went to the Gettysburg Address. Now, who, <laughs> I don't know. Don't get me started. Uh, you know, this Corey Good, show me your DD-214. You're in the military. Let me see your separation uh, uh, papers. Oh, wait, uh, hold on. Hold on. There, there's some. Shocking revelations here via text message. Sean David Morin here says the amazing answers life hack seminar. So he, he was at, at, at the expo giving a talk. Well, it's just amazing. People, people are so stupid that they don't, you know, they don't even do the basic background check on these people. It's just, it's just ludicrous. It says right here in this all new PowerPoint present presentation, the doctor is in. What a shit. Oh my god. Some, some diploma mill. I mean, he doesn't have a real, the guy is. Life uh, hack seminar, by the way. I remember him uh, back in the mid nineties doing big bus trips out to area 51, touting himself as the world's foremost ufologist. (laughs) Oh my. Yep. Also, by the way, David Wilcock, he's someone else who made all these silly predictions that never came true. Never came, never come true, of course. Preposterous. All these people, they, they make these predictions and they're always wrong. And speaking of which, that brings me to Stephen Bassett, someone who rants and raves about disclosure. He's been, he's been talking about disclosure for a long time now, right? Well, since he ran for Congress in 96, I think. And he has no personal history before that. Nobody knows where he came from, who he was. Uh, we can't find out anything about him prior to that. And anytime you combine that with, uh, the Beltway. <laughs> I got my doubts about him. I got my doubts about him, to be honest. Well, I've always had my doubts. I know Steven, you know, I've known him for years and just don't, if he, if he wants to s- spend a few days on your couch, don't let him because you can't get rid of him. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. I had no idea. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, be afraid. Be very afraid. That's news to me. Yeah. Yes, and of course, Stephen Greer, another name that... I've known him for 25 years. Yeah, what's your thoughts on this gentleman? One event that... He's, he's, he's totally, he's, he's batshit fucking crazy. Batshit crazy, He's huh? a total, he's a total egomaniac. He, um, right now, I just heard a rumor that, um, someone, uh, punked him down in Florida, some pilot. He got the pilot to, uh, fly over his, his group um, with some weird lighting arrays to, you know, to fake a UFO event and the pilot dropped a dime on him and he's, he's being brought up on charges for fraud. Oh, that's goodness. what I heard. Now I don't want to be spreading rumors. Allegedly but, uh, it that's happened. Yes. What I heard, uh, this should be breaking news. Uh, alleged, yes. This alleged, but when are they going to go after him for all the hundreds of thousands of dollars that he built investors out of for all these free energy devices that never show up? What's up with that? Ooh, good point. You know, and the guy lives on a huge, you know, mansion on a big estate and, you know, he's, you know, I, his managing director was a really close friend of mine until she died of cancer in 98. And, you know, prior to her dying, she kept him in check. And, you know, our mantra to him was, Stephen, your message is more important than you are. Stay out of your own way. 
<laughs> oh, the ego, yes. Oh, Jesus. Com- I mean, and, mm-hmm. you know, he rails at his followers, calls them monkey brains and, and exercising primate level consciousness and such an arrogant person and, and just very distasteful. W- was he also involved in the whole Roswell slideshow? I have to admit no, that. No, oh, he, okay. no, he, he doesn't get there? involved in anything unless he, it was his idea. Okay. Because unless he's in charge. Oh, he, he doesn't get involved in anything. That event it's, really triggered me, by the way. That was operated by uh, Jaime, Jaime Mazon, right? Mazon, yeah. From, from Mexico, well, right? And he's, shit, Tom Carey, man. Those guys, they're, they're still. He's a known hoaxer, by the way. I would never be involved with that guy, with that name. Well, he's just, you know, he's, he's a entertainer. He. Of course. You know, if you see his presentation, about 10% of what he shows is actual good stuff. But the other, you know, 90% is just crap. I just have very negative feelings towards him, as I know he is a known scammer in Mexico. Yeah, well, he's, you know, I, I think he's, you know, He's an entertainer. You know, these people are entertaining. You talk to, you know, the cousin twins in Hawaii with the third phase of moon and, oh, we're just entertaining people. Well, why we... don't you say that instead of touting this stuff and pretending it's real or the secure team or all these, there's got to be 50 sites now that are just total bunk. Occasionally you'll see something decent on there. I won't even uh, click on them anymore because they're making too much money. What about uh, click throughs? What about Mr. John Lear? Yeah, I don't know what to make of him. He's he's just so bizarre. If you trace back, I, I interviewed him one time, and it was kind of strange. Um, he wasn't like that when I talked to him off air. He was very normal. Uh, matter of fact, I'm probably going to bring him back on. He seemed not like how he was when I brought him on. I'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, once a spook, always spooky in my book. You know, I mean, hell, the guy flew for Air America for the CIA, so you know, and he was. The one that gave Bill Cooper his start and uh, introduced Bob Lazar to George Knapp. He seems to be at the very uh, vanguard and at the forefront of of serious uh, memes. He's a strange uh, cat. He's kind of strange. Well, he's he's uh, he's a really artful disinformation agent. I mean, let's get real. He's very good at it. There's another name I'm forgetting now. Hmm. Not well. You brought up Richard Dolan. What's your thoughts on him? Uh, I like Rich. Um, I think he's, you know, well, well intentioned. I don't think he's trying to punk people or, you know, do the kinds of things that the people we've been talking about do. I think he's, he's rather naive. Um, I think he has, uh, a selective filter. Uh, you know, his national security state books, I think are pretty well done. There's mistakes in there. Um, I think he's, um, because he has to generate a lot of money, uh, for his overhead. And this is his job, basically. This and the, the publishing company. I think that that uh, that makes some of his decision making questionable and uh, suspect. Um, he has a hot new girlfriend. Oh my! Who he didn't introduce me to. Oh, uh, he didn't. In- yeah, he oh. proposed to her uh, at the International UFO Congress. And this he didn't weekend. invite you uh, to the wedding. He just proposed to her. Uh, he needs to invite I you to the wedding. I guess Jason Martell re- proposed to his girlfriend at the Conscious Life Expo. That's oh what. The- did he really? Yeah. And he, I knew he was going to get married eventually to that woman. Uh, whomever. Anyway, Rich, you know, right. he was very, very dumb to, to accept Masson and Schmidt and Carey's invitation to go down to Mexico because he got slimed by that. And I think ever since then, uh, his, you know, his fairly spotless reputation has been sullied somewhat. And, uh, I don't think the rank and file, uh, the real investigator research community, I don't think, uh, they, 
there, I think a lot of people were a little upset about that, uh, and, and that he's starting to slip a little bit and, you know, he's not, you know, he, he'll go on Project Camelot. He'll do anything. He's a bit of a whore in terms of getting the publicity and stuff. And, you know, like I said, if, if you pay your bills with this kind of, of work, you're, you're, you're going to be, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be compromised and, and you're going to take shortcuts sure. to, to keep your name out there and to keep, uh, you know, keep the, the cash flow going. Now, one other name. What about Jordan Maxwell? Shred likely. What to make of him? A very good researcher. Um, I love Jordan, his, by the way. I must say that. Secret society stuff. I really, you know, I've, I've really, um, enjoy. I remember back in the early nineties listening to lecture tapes of him and May Russell and John Judge and, and people like that. Um, you know, I think a lot of his work is good, but then, you know, I kind of lost track, track of him. Uh, that conference I told you about that I got lumped in with all those yahoos uh at the (laughs) he was at the very end and i was sitting next to him and i had to keep elbowing him to to wake him up he's kind of getting up there he's getting a little old yes Uh, i was with him at the conscious life expo i ate lunch with him there i I like i like i mean I, i think he's uh I, I'm really, I can't really pass any sort of judgment on him. I really haven't been aware of much of what he's done in the last 15 years. But, you know, back in the 90s and stuff, I think he was one of the, one of the real, uh, dogged sort of, you know, leave no stone unturned guys. And, and I did appreciate his, uh, his efforts then. Okay. Bill Cooper now. Legit? A total nut, nutcase, uh, an angry alcoholic, um, totally out of his mind, uh, Behold the Pale Horse, uh, is still a bestseller. It's a great book, by the way. Interesting. Uh, I read it years, you know, many, many years ago, uh, when it first came out. And there, there was some interesting stuff in there, but, but totally, you know, some of the stuff is just total, you know, la la land, you know, the, the driver killed Kennedy and uh, I don't know, just some of the stuff. And of course, you know, he was really given his big push by Lear. That's true. What about Alex Jones? Um, again, one of those sensationalizing, uh, just big mouthed, uh, fear monger. Uh, totally. The yeah. only thing he really did that I appreciated was, uh, you know, Crash uh, Bohemian Grove. That's when I first really heard about him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I give him credit for that. Uh, that was pretty ballsy to, to, you know, to, to be able to go in there and, and get video and stuff of the cremation of care ritual and all that. I thought that was cool, but you know, he's, he's just, He's like everybody else. He's, he, that makes their money in this realm. They got yeah. to, they got to keep, got to keep hustling, yeah. and coming up with stuff. Got to keep to selling keep, those keep products out there they too. Generating money. They got to keep pushing their snake oil. The fact that Trump thinks he's God's gift to fucking journalism blows my mind. I, what can you do, man? I, I think the the Large Hadron Collider at CERN put us into an alternate uh, universe. It here. might have. I never, I, I never stopped to think about that. You're probably yeah, right. I, 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 it, to me, to me, we've, we've, uh, we've jumped into some Mandela effect. Yeah. Some Mandela effect. Oh nightmare my universe. goodness. That's, that's hilarious. You know, speaking of politics, before we even get into that, let, let's go into your three books briefly here. The mysterious Valley trilogy. Of course, that's the mysterious Valley and enter the Valley and secrets of the mysterious Valley. Um, let's get into that here. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, when I moved to uh, Colorado in 1989, you know, I was aware of the Slippy the Horse case, which is, uh, you know, a very important, uh, I think, uh, start of a big meme in, in, uh, in the field, uh, with the unexplained livestock death mystery 
uh, snippy happened there in September 67, uh, about 60 miles, 40 miles, uh, about 40 miles from where I, I ended up moving to snippy in Crestone, Colorado. It's the largest, the uh, San Luis Valley, uh, there in South Central Colorado is the largest alpine valley in the world. It's about 140, 150 miles long. If you've ever been to Taos, New Mexico, it's the big valley that extends north from there, um, up across, uh, the border into from uh, northern New Mexico into Colorado and then all the way up to uh, Poncha Pass. Uh, and it's completely surrounded by mountains, radar invisible below 18,000 feet, uh, extremely remote. Uh, there's only one person for every seven or eight square miles. Um, they didn't get television, broadcast television there until the 80s. Uh, it's uh, a, a paranormal hotbed of activity. It probably has a variety of intensity and intensity of of unusual uh events uh unrivaled anywhere that I know of um and when I got there I was unaware that there was any current activity and over the first couple three years all of a sudden I started experiencing stuff hearing stories and and then it was in 92 uh that we had a huge sighting uh that of 200 foot glowing uh ovals that flew down out of the mountains over the town that I lived in, they had less than 200 people in it, and about 10% of the town saw this thing. I was gigging with my band, I wasn't there, so I didn't see it, but yeah, I was writing for my little town newspaper, and uh, which was a monthly, it only came out once a month, so I, you know, I, I thought, man, this is kind of cool, maybe we could come up with a nice, you know, you know, little green man whistling the Twilight Zone type of poking fun at the the old hippies all having a collective flashback. I was going to write some, you know, stupid, you know, the kind of article that I hate now reading. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But uh I, I threw a New Year's Eve party a month later and I had about 30, 40 people in the party. And at one point everywhere I went in the party, people were talking about this sighting. And so I thought, wow, maybe there's something to this. So um I spent, you know, a couple of weeks researching uh weird events in, in the valley there. And, uh, you know, within a couple, three days, I had uncovered enough material, uh, like a, it's like Pandora's box. I had uncovered a paranormal Disneyland. I was just flabbergasted at all the cool stuff I was finding. And so I ended up writing a serious article that was a whole page and, uh, uh, it got picked up by the wire services, by Associated Press, uh, UPI, Reuters that went around the world. Uh, I was inundated with requests for information from, People from all over the world, uh, had to get a bigger mailbox at the post office, uh, and I was on national TV in two months, uh, and that kind of created, uh, a situation where the universe was telling me that I should maybe, uh, you know, really look into all this stuff and that a lot of people were very interested in what I would uncover. So, you know, within that first week period, I knew I had uncovered enough material to write a, a you know, at least one book, if not more. And so, uh, the mysterious valley was my, very, uh, you know, I was pretty wet behind the ears and a little bit on the naive side, but, uh, I did my best and I, I wrote it like a person trying to, to teach themselves how to be a good, solid, uh, paranormal investigator. So there's 13 rules of suggested rules of investigation that I, that I came up with and I show as, as the book progresses, you know, how I came up with each of these rules and, uh, which, you know, I hope people hold me to. I'm, I'm very, uh, um open with uh my work and I take criticisms and stuff and uh and um you know I, I happened to throw get a, a an agent through a friend of mine who was published and uh and they put out a bunch of submissions and I got a sixty thousand dollar offer from Harper Collins 
And I thought, wow, this is cool. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then they rescinded the offer because they had made too many offers that year for new books. And so I was really bummed. And, and, uh, I got another offer from St. Martin's Press and, uh, they ended up being the ones to publish the book. It, uh, was in print for 12 years. It went through 10 printings. Uh, it sold a lot of copies and, um, kind of put me on the map a little bit. And when I turned my manuscript in, they wanted 70,000 words and I gave them 135 and, uh, they ended up uh, having me take out half the book, and and that was pretty much the basis for uh, for the follow up. You know, a lot of the historical information that you see in the second book, I wanted to put in the first book, but uh, they said no, and and so they you know uh, gave me uh, another deal for a second book, and then um, that covered uh, the first book covered from 1777 all the way to uh, when I turned the manuscript in in 94, and then the Second book goes from 94 to uh, 97, that three-year period, and then all the historical information. And then Secrets of the Mysterious Valley is the next 10-year period plus all my very, very best cases. And and then I kind of wrote it like what it, you know, for the reader to get a sense of what it's like to to actually run around and put 300 miles, uh, 1,000 miles on your truck in, in six years and, and interview thousands of people and work with, with law enforcement, work with scientists, work with ranching communities and brand inspectors and livestock boards and, and investigated uh, just countless, countless. Yeah, there events. was a lot of wild stuff you, you investigated into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I walkers. Experience yeah. that I wouldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah you, you learned about uh, skinwalkers and... I guess you could say the the common greys and witches and all sorts of of crazy things out there, right? Yeah, when I investigate, I, I don't have blinders on. I, I don't go out just looking for UFOs or just looking for Bigfoot. I got my eyes open and I I make notes of everything: weird weather, aberrant social behavior, weird coincidences, synchronicities, uh, um, attendant uh, phenomena, amounts of roadkill. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, I see correlation everywhere and connections everywhere, and that's mm-hmm. why my fourth book, uh, Stalking the Tricksters, is kind of my uh, attempt to come up with a theory that, that ties together uh, all these types of events, uh, whether they're paranormal or not, and, and looks for that kind of giggle factor that's always present, and that's the trickster mechanism. And, and so, you know, people for years, people say, well, what do you think's behind all this? And so I, I finally kind of was forced into writing a book that, that attempted to, uh, Answer to those come up questions. with an explanation right. uh, mm-hmm. that attempts to explain at least an explanation in terms of a mechanism that ties ties these things together, so or a connecting point, and and that would be the uh, the trickster archetype in Jungian uh, collective, you know, unconscious yes. sort of archetypal psychology, and and um, it's a little esoteric, I, I think, but uh, you know, I. I I do not think that we are being visited from from aliens from another planet. I think they've been here longer than we have. I think we may be the aliens. There's a good possibility that we aren't really uh, from here, uh, that maybe we are introduced here. Uh, I think we're dealing with other tenants in the building um, who have been uh, uh, watching us uh, for thousands of years. And uh, I think our government knows about about this and I think because they aren't in control that they will never ever um, admit to that or disclose anything uh, for uh, using uh, the popular term um, so I fly kind of in the face of convention when people tell me to keep my eyes to the sky I tend to put my ear to the ground um, oh yeah 
So, you know, I'm just, I'm just, that's just the way I am. I'm always looking for connecting points, correlations, uh, things, uh, the way they can coalesce together, um, I think is, is not enough work is being done in that area. I'm a synthesis, uh, not only a synthesizer player, but I'm, uh, my thinking, uh, is more along the lines of, of synthesizing together, uh, what appear to be, you know, divergent or, or unconnected, uh, Events and uh, facts and figures and that sort of thing. And yeah, you basically I'm really into timelines and you, writing stuff down. Yeah, you basically and, you know, if you write everything down, no matter how inconsequential it seems, when you go back and look at the the patterning six months later, it's just mind blowing. Yeah, you basically connect the connected the dots there for all of us. Well, you got to notate the dots. You got to know that they're there because nobody has a perfect memory. Of course, so it's sometimes really important to write everything down. I right. I, you know, very early on, because so many people were interested in, in what I was doing, I ended up publishing the Mysterious Valley Report on and off for six, seven years. And, and, uh, that's, it's probably a stack of reports over a foot high. And what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to put all those together into uh, a series of volumes. Um, that's all the, the just day by day, uh, who called? What did they say? What did I do? How did I investigate? What else did I find? Um, because so many people were interested in what I was doing, I couldn't answer everybody individually. So I started to publish this report, which I sent out free, free to anybody that wanted it. Yes. Uh, at the end, I was sending out almost 200 copies. Uh, That's very nice. Every of time you. I published, uh, my my data is open for anybody that wants it. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not proprietary. I don't, you know, I'd be honored if you're interested enough to want to know what I have been doing, and you know. You know, my, my work, uh, my database has been available online for decades. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's like everything else. Uh, if you have something to hide, then you, <laughs> you might get in trouble for the powers that be. Of course. But if you don't have anything to hide, they don't have any reason to come after you. <laughs> I agree. Now, I'm, I'm curious now from all the cases you've worked on through all the years, or is there one in particular that I guess you could say stands out the most for you? Well, Skinwalker Ranch, you know, the Sherman Ranch case, um, is, has always been, you know, the, the most mind blowing. Uh, that's the only case that I really, uh, got involved with outside of the San Luis Valley. The San Luis Valley is like a perfect petri dish, uh, a social petri dish. Um, it's very delineated, uh, you know, the, the actual, uh, valley itself. And, you know, I focused all my efforts in, in that, you know, that valley and the, in the slightly surrounding, the surrounding mountains around there. And this, uh, Sherman Ranch case was the only one that really pulled me out of the valley. And I, I found out about it before it became public. So I was able to interview, uh, Terry Sherman, uh, before all the publicity, before Bigelow bought the ranch and, and NIDS, uh, this National Institute for Discovery Science, uh, sciences guys moved in up there and, and started trying to document the, uh, you know, the, the activity. Um, I kept real close tabs on that, um, developed sources up in the, uh, Uinta Basin area around Fort Duchesne, um, have worked, uh, very, very quietly, uh, behind the scenes with a bunch of investigators over the years who have been involved in that case and, uh, and, uh, done quite a bit of digging. That is the most phenomenal case that I, I'm personally aware of. Yeah. The whole skinwalker thing has always been fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Um, I was very fortunate to be uh, told about it. Uh, back, uh, over 20 years ago before, before it went public. Yeah, before it really took off. Well, yeah, whatever. Uh, take off. I don't know if that's a good term. Uh, <laughs> before it became no, 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 you know, the notoriety, uh, factor kicked in. Definitely. In fact, I gave Terry, uh, 
Bigelow's uh, phone number and also Lawrence Rockefeller's phone number, hoping that Rockefeller would uh, would buy the ranch. Bigelow beat him to it. Oh, that's unfortunate, of course. Yeah, well, what, what can you do? <laughs> For sure. And uh, again, one thing I did want to mention here, and I'm, I'm glad I, I just remembered, you do have your own show. I, yeah, the Paracast. We're the longest running uh, serious uh, podcast and talk radio show on on the paranormal besides Coast to Coast. Yeah, I was going to say it's been going 11 years. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's the never missed a week. We have almost 600 shows in our archive. Been around forever, I was going to say. Yeah, 11 years. I, I've been on the show, what, eight years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we've had everybody. It's the only show Gary, Jerry Clark will do, uh, Jerome Clark, the only show Brad Steiger will do. Occasionally, um, they've done coast to coast. Uh, we've had Jacques Vallée on a number of times. So, you know, I could, I could name drop from here till uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, you've had everyone on there. Pretty much, yeah. Except for the people that we really want to get on there so we can carve them a new one. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, I saved this last name for, um, our entertainment here and someone who's been on, on this program, Michael Horn. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Uh, Let, let's get into Michael uh, Horn here and Billy Meyer. Uh, Do you think he believes what he's telling all of us out out here on the internet, on the interwebs? Yeah, I I, I think he knows that that Meyer is 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 a fraud. Um, I think I think Meyer did have some experiences in India and early on in the uh, in the sixties in in Switzerland, but you know, I mean, he just he just took that ball and ran with it, and is pretty much the uh, he's kind of the guy that created the boilerplate for Greer and and for uh, you know. Other, uh, cult of personality, uh, guru types, uh, you know, he was one of the original, uh, sort of formulators of that whole concept, except he took it even one step further, like the Raelians and, and Heaven's Gate. He actually kind of made a belief system, a religion out of it. Um, you know, he's very slick, uh, with some of his, uh, hoaxes, uh, for being a one-armed guy. Uh, it's pretty interesting how he was able to pull some of it off, but it's obvious, uh, trickery and hoaxes. And I mean, his ex-wife just came out recently and just blam blasted him and said that he's, you know, total fraud, total, total, uh, you know, huckster. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. 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 Just do a little research. She came out with a, uh, an interview fairly recently. Um, and also uh horn, managed to get the rights for Billy Myers uh work in the United States. That's why he's such a pit bull about it. I can't stand that guy. He's one of those people that I'd love to, you know, stumble into in the dark oh, alley. Oh my goodness. I didn't know you had such a, a love affair with him. Uh, I can't stand that guy. Uh, he's <laughs> just he gets on my nerves. I'm gonna have to bring him back on here and, and secretly bring you on. No, nah, don't don't bother. I'm, I, I, I'm I, kidding, I don't I'm kidding. Waste, don't waste my time. <laughs> I was just trying to humor you, Chris. No. You know, no. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> when it comes to these kind of people, I, I just, I. Yeah, it, you shut them out. I, yeah, you I'm shut so down. so pissed off at all these people. You get triggered. Yeah. Well, it's because, because of, of people like Horn and, and Greer and, you know, Sean David Morton, Wilcock. These are the people that keep academia and keeps the scientific community uh, as far away from this toxic mess as possible. It's because of this type of, of BS and this stupid Triggered. idiot people that believe in this stuff. You know, if you want to believe in something, go to church. You know, this is not the realm of true belief and jello slurping and Kool-Aid drinking. Uh, you know, get a grip, get a life and get real. <laughs> I like that. 
Very well, true. That's, that's been my mantra lately. I'm Do your own you. freaking research and don't rely on the internet or your television set to educate you. I've read thousands of books. I've met anybody who's uh, anybody in this field over the last 25 years. And if I haven't, I know their best friend and I probably have their phone number anyway. You know, I've, I've, I've thrown this stuff against the wall. I've seen what sticks. I've identified the people that are real unsung heroes that are doing the work in the trenches without a lust for uh, money or fame. Agreed, they yeah. want to pull this field forward. They want to pull human understanding and, and the, the quality of our knowledge uh, forward. Uh, they want to make a difference. Uh, it's altruistic um, motivation as opposed to uh, egoic and monetary motivation. Uh, anybody that pays their, their, their bills in this realm is suspect. You know, I've got four other jobs that I do to pay my bills. I do this because the work that I do is I'm the only one that can do it. Nobody else is positioned properly uh, to be able to do it. And so my Mysterious Valley work, I did because nobody else was going to write those books. Uh, my Stalking the Herd book, which I'm very proud of, which I can't give away, uh, is, is you know, I splashed the pool dry. No one is ever going to write a book on the cattle mutilation phenomenon and be taken seriously after my my book and, and the one that's coming out next. Uh, so I'm, I'm very proud of my work, and I think there's people out there that we should be proud of their work. And uh, the charlatans and the, the, the cult of personality people, um, I think, are the worst thing that's ever happened to the field. And we've had it ever since, you know, <laughs> Kenneth Arnold, you know. Kenneth Arnold, yeah. You know, these people have been the, the Damskys and Daniel Fry and George Hunt Williamson and, you know, all these, these, these just total frauds, man. Billy Meyer. Just like I, you know, ask me how I really feel, you know. Maybe I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here. I know you're not afraid to speak your mind. No, um, especially from these people here. No, I mean, I don't care, you know, what people think, you know, you know, hey, I've, I've been there, man. Not only did I go there and get a t-shirt, I'm helping design the t-shirt factory and I'm helping design the bullshit meter factory. That's so Let's funny. Get a bullshit meter and learn how to use it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So one other question about the, the show, the Paracast, how were you approached by that, by, uh, by the way, for doing that program? Who approached you first? Well, I, I did the show and it was so popular. They wanted me to come back. And then when, um, when David Biedney left, the original co-host, um, I was asked to be one of six kind of revolving guest co-hosts. And, uh, I was the only one that really stuck. So, you know, I kind of got it by default. Okay. I didn't really want to do it. And I'm being slimed by Gene Steinberg's constant begging for money, which totally f- just pisses me off. And I'm not sure how much more I can take of it. Someone's begging you for money. Well, Gene Steinberg, yeah, my co-host, he's constantly he's begging, begging you for money. money. And he's constantly, you know, oh, I can't pay my light bill. My, I can't buy my wife's eye medicine. He's constantly you know, hitting people up for money. And, you know, and people think I need it too. And, and I don't. I, I work my ass off. And, I, you know, I, I don't stoop as low as to, you know, to beg people for money and, and, and get people to loan me money knowing I'll never pay him back. I, I, I just, I have real problems with that, you know. I'll publicly say that because uh, I, I've just, you know, I haven't been paid uh, ever really for the show. Uh, he pays my phone bill, you know. That's that's it. I, I, 
you know, I'm, I'm worth way more than that. But, uh, you know, he keeps shaming me to keep me there and you know, I don't know how much more I can, I can do. So what's going on with the show? Yeah. So this makes me think, well, what's up with the show right now? Yeah, it's just, you know, we got a huge audience. I mean, we do 70, 100,000 downloads. Um, and we're on what 35, 40 stations around the country, you know, AM, FM, talk radio stations. Yeah. He's hitting you up for money. Oh, he hits everybody up for money. Oh, he begs online. Just go on Facebook. Hmm. Oh, he's constantly sending out email blasts, you know. Well, why just, is that? He lives what, what? in a nice, nice condo, gated community, drives a late model lease car, you know. He's doing a hell of a lot better than I am. <clears throat> Yet I never get paid, you know. Last, last hmm. money, chance I gave him $250. This is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. You know, the guy's, the guy's wow. lame. What can I do? You know, I, I just, I got caught into, uh, into a, a feedback loop of the, you know, with the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm going to do my own show. You got caught in the politics. Well, I got caught in his, his life drama. That too. Caught in politics. Speaking it's of which. His, his, his yeah. life drama and I'm being slimed because of his constant begging for money. <clears throat> People think I need it too. And I, I don't, man. I work my ass off to pay my bills. Right. And, mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, I'm not, I don't live on, on, uh, on peanuts from trying to, Produce a radio show. Uh, you know, I, I constantly am telling him, man, get us on XM, get us on a big, on Clear Channel or Westward One or something. Get yeah. us on a big network. On Sirius. All day. You know, do shit. Get your ass in gear, man. Make it happen. Sell some advertising. And he's still not on the ball yet? No, he just doesn't do it. Black of motivation or just apathetic? You know, old dog, you know, old dog, <laughs> old dog needs, uh, Needs to get motivated. He's he's in his early seventies. You know, he ain't a spring chicken. Oh, okay. Well, he's just content then, most likely. Yeah, to have me uh, be his meal ticket. I, I get most gas. I mean, I'm the one that asks the interesting questions. You know, he's still stuck in the fifties. He he doesn't have really that much uh, on the ball when it comes to who's new in the field and and uh, you know who's up and coming. Uh, you know, I, I at least keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. Have you had you know, this you know, dis- crypto have- stuff, haunted site stuff? He doesn't know anything about that stuff. Have you Nothing. had this uh, discussion with him yet? Yeah, many times. And no change. He's just kind of oh, like, no, whatever, Chris. You're crazy. No, no, no. He says, well, you know, what could I do? I'm doing the best I can. Oh, poor me. Oh, that's too bad. Playing the victim well, role. Huh? I'm tired of it. If I'm gonna be doing it for free, it might as well be my my deal. Yeah, I don't see why you can't start your own program. I could. Several people want, uh, asked me to do it. You know, maybe co-host the show with somebody else. Or, I think you, know, you do could do it. I think you huh? could do it. Yeah, I I feel like you could you could do it. You have plenty of material to talk about. Well, I'll say. Plus, I know everybody. <laughs> exactly. You get back on the air pretty quickly if you do uh, your yeah. own thing or you join some I, other I might just someone else. Break. You know, I'm tired of having to read two, three books a week and. You know, put in two and a half hours of my time. You know, yeah, to it gets pretty. Calls and it's pretty repetitive. Schedules. And, yeah, I mean, there's some effort that goes into it. It, it's it not, does. Not as it's not, people think it's it is. not easy. That's true. You know, trying to get good guests every week. We've never missed a week with a new show in 11 years. Wow. Not many people that can say that. There really isn't. No. No, you know, of course, coast to coast, they're on five nights a week, but they've got a team. They got the resources, know, like, though, man. They got everything. Well, they got they got a whole team. It's a it's a it's a you know it's a well organized machine. It's a money making behemoth. It's a well oiled machine indeed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, of course their numbers are way down from what they used to be. They're way less than a million now. 
Well, that's because the radio industry isn't what it what it used to be. Well, it's Clear Channel. Not like what it used to be at all. Clear Channel is Clear Channel. They took a big hit back in, I believe, 2008 or 9. Well, they're they're out of the New York market. They're out of L.A., I think. I mean, some of the big markets are not in anymore. When Art Bell was there, they were were at least 3 million a night. Sure. And, uh, you know, their demographic was uh, was real good uh, for, you know, some serious advertising dollars. And, people, you know, there was a lot of money being made. Now it's different. George Norrie is just, you know, to me, he's... You know, he's a poor excuse for a paranormal, uh, show, uh, host. I mean, the most outrageous thing will go right by him. He won't even, you know, I mean, he's, he's very numb and very naive. And, uh, the gravitas that he gives one night to some time traveling, uh, you know, child molesters, the same gravitas will give Michio Kaku the next night. There's no, there's no ebbing and flowing. You know, that's really- my, always my problem with Art Bell. I mean, the, every guest gets the same kind of, uh, level of uh, credulity and, and suspension of disbelief. And, you know, you come on the Paracast and if you're, you know, if you're some nuclear physicist, you know, we're going to be treating you like a nuclear physicist. And if you're, uh, you know, some wacko contactee, uh, you better have some evidence to back up your uh, extraordinary claim because we're going to carve you a new one if you don't. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're like 60 minutes, man. Mike Wallace and Morley Safer on, on, uh, when they get up on, on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, we've had quite a number of people hang up on us and, you know, we, I mean, we ask tough questions. Yeah. I was going to say you've generated a, quite a bit of heat over the years too. Yeah. Yeah. And we've gotten a reputation of being, you know, almost debunkers for some, some people, you know, who can't stand us because we don't, we don't play the, the true believer game and, you know, we don't sit there and sip the Kool-Aid and slurp the jello with all the, all the knuckleheads out there that need lives. There's one it, more other mother's basements. There's one more other name I did want to mention, and that's Linda Moen Howe. What's your opinion on her? Don't get me started. Oh no, there's something here. <sighs> I, I just don't want to. You know, you, you're you're turning this into a fucking people bashing thing, and I I really, you know, I was just yeah, curious I'm since so you brought up cattle mutilation. But, but Linda, Linda was very kind. She took me under her wing. She trained me how to investigate, uh, you know, well, not so much investigate, but interview people. She's very good at interviewing people. Very early on, um, I was reporting all my cattle cases to her. I didn't care if she uh, didn't mention that it was me investigating. I thought we were all on the same team. I'm a team player. And uh, then when she stabbed me in the back and tried to destroy me per, uh, personally and professionally, uh, back in the mid nineties. Oh no. Uh, I, I just had took real exception to that. Um, she's, uh, a charlatan. Um, she comes up with absolute bald face BS. Uh, a good example would be the, uh, Umbarte, uh, cult group down in Brazil with the, that weird, uh, supposed abduction with the, the burn marks on the bed and the ceiling that was uh, really created a lot of raised eyebrows and, titillated a lot of people back in the late 90s and Linda was paid I think 10 grand to go down there and sign off on the case which she did <clears throat> so she went around that was grist for her next you know year she made a lot of money and a lot of hay off that and then some investigative reporter in Brazil uh punked the group and uh and uncovered that it was all a big hoax and the group came forward and did a big mea culpa and said yeah we we faked all this Linda went around for 2 years and, and claimed that it was real and, and kept supporting the case. Uh, you know, this, this whole thing with, uh, the, the supposed buried UFO on the Utah and Nevada border. She was given a 20 page report, uh, debunking that whole assertion. 
um, you know, to, to, to save her the embarrassment of presenting all that erroneous information at the first crash retrieval conference in, in Vegas. Not only did she uh, ignore the report and go ahead and, and, uh, and present the, uh, total fabricated bullshit information. She went back the following year and gave an update. Uh, the Karay domes, uh, drones, remember those? Those weird. Yes. Bicycle spoky looking things that were mm-hmm. flying around, uh, uh, you know, those, those were obvious that, yeah. hoaxes. People proved that they were hoaxes for several years. Uh, she was milking those as being real and how the, the writing on the drones matched crop circles. <laughs> I recall that, yes. Uh, it, it just, you know, I have no respect, uh, for her at all. I do want to say, I, I wasn't trying to turn this into any kind of a bashing type segment. It's just, I, I'd like to. Well, people should know, the- she should know that, uh, you know, that, that there are certain investigators that have to come up with new stuff, no matter how much they have to fabricate, dig, uh, and, uh, stretch. Uh, you know, the limits of credulity. They have to come up with something every six to eight months to keep themselves visible, to keep getting invited to conferences. Now she has a new TV show, Truth Hunter. <laughs> what a joke. Truth Hunter. Uh, on this guy MTV thing. What a joke. She's been touting this pyramid in Alaska and I mean, come on, show me some proof. Give me something to go on. A lot of people have been yeah. talking about Alaska and Antarctica and all these things, um, there's I, a lot I of just, cool stuff going on. Yeah, there's a lot of, article, there's a lot of different things going the, on. So right. the cow, cattle death thing, you know, she's looking at 2% of the data, uh, the, which she claims, uh, represents the entire mystery. And, uh, that 2% of the data is, has convinced her that aliens are gathering genetic material from cattle to save their dying race. Yeah, I don't you know, know about the stock that answer to that is why don't they pick the lock on a slaughterhouse and get all the material they need? <laughs> right. She's being intellectually dishonest, is not looking at 95 to 98 percent of the data, uh, which I present in my, my book, Stalking the Herd. Um, I put it all out there. She'll never mention all the cases where the cattle have been shot by firearms before they were mutilated. She won't mention the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of helicopter sightings. And if you bring it up, she says they're UFOs pretending to be helicopters. She won't talk about all the weird substances that have been found inside the uh, cattle, ketamine, all sorts of coagulants, anticoagulants, mescaline, nicotine, uh, barbiturates, potassium cyanide. You can go down the list of weird things that have come out in, in veterinary pathology examinations. Uh, she'll never mention any of that. Uh, she'll just tout any case that conforms to her, her theory, which has run roughshod over that subject. Uh, since 1979 and has made it really difficult for real investigators like me and others uh, who are attempting to do it correctly. And honestly, it makes it very impossible for us to get a word in edgewise because she has totally dominated the conversation I see. Uh, for 20 years. And uh, I'm, I'm sick and tired of, of, of people uh, cherry picking data to support their their theories and their foregone conclusions. I'm off my soapbox. That's Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery by Christopher O'Brien, folks. And of course, you can find that at Amazon.com, where they will steal his money in the process. Well, no, then you can go to OurStrangePlanet.com, get a signed copy, and, and uh, I get, get it direct. Get it, yeah, get it direct. That's an even better idea, folks. Don't go to Amazon. Get it from his website, and he'll autograph yeah, that. And I'll baby. send you some uh, neat little gifts along with it too. Some really cool stuff that I add in with the books. Nice. Yeah. Don't go to Amazon. Go to there. Go to his website rather. Speaking of which, plug oh. your website right now. 
OurStrangePlanet.com. It's a strange planet. It's OurStrangePlanet.com. Wonderful. Now, before I, I leave you here, I do want to thank you for being on the program. And the one thing I usually like to bring up to many of the of the guests that I, I talk to here, I always like to say, are you a movie fan or are you a TV person? What's going on with you? Well, uh, in 2007, right after the election and the uh, the TARP uh, scandal, I um, I I threw my uh, dish receiver when when my my subscription was up. I threw it off a cliff, and I didn't. I literally did not have uh, TV it. for many years till till just recently. And uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, I, I broadcast television, even though I, I create program and create uh, commercials and all that. I can't stand uh, going on. Uh, 200 channels there's nothing on um it's getting better um i like that i have a digital recorder i don't really watch broadcast television i record stuff i do netflix um amazon prime that sort of thing um i'm very very selective over what i watch i've been getting into um um some some i think fairly cool shows uh that i've liked uh the vikings uh show the history channel had that's a good show i like um I like the um, American Pickers and Pawn Stars because there's so much uh, information about history and and value and uh, and uh, there's some really cool stuff um, information. I like shows where I learn something. Um, other than that, um, you know, I watch the UFC. I, I get some of my latent aggression out. Nice. If I want to, you know, pound somebody, I'll, I'll watch TV and let them do it for me. Um, occasionally, you know, I'll see some UFC fights. Um, you should uh, you should get yourself a punching bag in the backyard there. Well, I, I don't really have anger issues, um, you know. Uh, oh, I don't either. The way this show sounded, I, a lot of people would say, "Yeah, right, pal." Um, oh, I, I'm wow. more irritated and frustrated, really, about the state of uh, of, of uh, the investigative uh, field that you I'm get involved a little, in. Yeah, you get a little triggered, but that's okay. We all do. Well, it, it, there, there are certain individuals that I would really like to uh, go toe to toe with, uh, because I, I would know that any words would be wasted, and only, uh, just a good sound beating would be the only way to <laughs> knock some sense into them. Like Douglas and I, I'm Dietrich. saying that facetiously, of course, but. Uh, you know, I, I just I'm getting uh, to the point where people are calling me curmudgeonly and grumpy and a grouch and all this. And I don't care. Somebody has got to point their fingers at these motherfucking emperors on parade. It's just sickening what people are buying into. And, and you know, I feel for people because especially kids, they don't know any better. And uh, unless somebody points out that these people are full of shit, you know, the, the poor people that are making making them uh, all that money and giving them all that notoriety, they're never going to know. I mean, to them, it sounds cool. You know, it conforms to their their, you know, pop culture program, right. sci fi sure. reality. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I acquiesce. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> and this is why I wanted to bring you on here. I know you're not afraid. Oh no! This no, is what somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it, and this is why I brought you on here. Yeah. Where are you located, by the way? I don't even know. I am in the bowels of California, in a little town called El Centro, California. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've got. I'm a fifth generation Californian. Not many of us out there. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I was born in Palm Springs. Oh God, that's not very far from me. Yep. That's yep. cool. I didn't know that. Yep. Well, I was only there for about six months. Well, it still counts. Yeah, my my parents lived in Palm Springs. I was born actually in Indio. I think the hospital in Indio, but then I grew up in Washington State. You know, after that. So. Oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, guys, finally getting some water. Yeah. 
which is so, good. Hopefully that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of water actually. Hopefully the Orville Dam holds up. <laughs> oh, that's another another situation there, and of course okay. all these impending earthquakes that are supposed to happen. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of when, exactly, and I'm right on the fault line here. I'll say you are. It's You're right, right there with it. Right, about four faults come together. Right in the middle, yes. I am terrified. Yeah, well, just hang on. Run outside and just lay on the ground and hang on. I've been in some really big earthquakes, so I know I was in the, uh, the Alaskan earthquake. Yeah, I was 1,500 miles away, but, boy, it shook us good and, the huge earthquake in 62, I think, in Seattle. Really scary. <clears throat> Got shaken over two deaths in my second grade class. So it was 64, I think, was the big year, 65. Yeah, there was a really big earthquake out here back in 2010, I believe. It was a 7.2. Right. right. Um, I was, yeah, I think about it was off the beaten track. That was insanely scary for me. I, I must admit, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And of yeah, course, it's weird when the ground uh, starts moving. You're, uh, your brain has a hard time dealing with it. Oh, I was just going to say I was dizzy for about 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. sucked. Worst feeling ever. Yeah. You had to go do a few things to get my mind back, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I really did. It, it was uh, crucial. And I'll do my, uh, I'll do my rhino babies. Uh, this is cute little. Video I saw a few months ago and I was, I was playing it when I'm on these shows. I always go ahead and, uh, yeah. And, uh, because it just sounds so weird. Let it roll. Okay. Here we go. Let me see if I can get it. Well, it's this commercials going. Hold on. There we go. Cause it's, it's gotten, I don't know how many millions of hits. Oh, I see. But it's really cool. Here we go. Oh my. Oh my. The three baby rhinos. They sound happy. <laughs> yeah. I happened to accidentally <laughs> put that on during a, a show I was on and they loved it. They were getting all these, all these, uh, you know, chats or, or texts or something and saying, Oh, where can we, where can we get that? <laughs> yeah. People lose their minds over that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, typical web, web stuff. Oh yes. Good stuff. All right. Good so uh, stuff. send me a link. Uh, when is this going to be broadcast? I'll have it up by tomorrow for sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so one, which, uh, which mm-hmm. are you part of a network or something or you just got no, your own sort of little server? I'm rolling, I'm rolling hard solo here, sir. Wow. Cool. Until right. one day, one day I do plan to have my own network and play different programs here. And uh-huh. of course, you know, if you ever want to do something by yourself, uh, you have a place to do it here. I have my own, my own server here, so I could let you get on whenever you want. Sure, that's great. How, how many downloads you guys are you getting? Oh, I I have no clue how many downloads are going on here. There's so many different places you could you could get this program. So oh. it's hard to decipher. Well, I've I've heard of it, so uh, you know that's that's good. At least uh, the name is out there. It's a good title. Nice, yeah. End of days. Pretty appropriate, right? End of days. The Michael Deacon program. However, I'm sure you heard the old rendition of of this program that is long gone and dead, and now. Like a phoenix through the ashes, this show is is brought forth to you in in 3D. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I do want to thank you for being on the Michael Deacon program, and it's been fun. I it's it's 
taken a very long time to get you here, to be honest, but I'm, I'm glad. Well, you know, I, I don't really do that many podcasts and stuff, uh, generally. Uh, that's, yes. You know, in the TV shows, I've been turning down left and right because, uh, I just, I, I can't stand some of the, uh, you know, the, the angle that they're trying to, uh, trying to, you know, sort of do these shows. Yeah. Um, I know. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with doing you. less and less and less of these yeah. things, but, um, you know, occasionally, especially when a book's coming out, of course, I'll, uh, gotta pump I'll, it. I'll, I'll get out and do yeah. it more, but, um, no, you've asked me a number of times. And so I, I went, went ahead and just said, okay, well, let's go ahead and do it. Sorry. I sound like crap and it's okay. You my attitude's fine. a little bad because I'm, I'm You're sick. sick. But, it's okay. Uh, yeah. It's all right, Chris. We, we all appreciate you being here. Well, excellent. Yes. So once again, go ahead and plug your book. And if there is um, some kind of event that you're going to be at, maybe go ahead and plug that too. Um, yeah. Well, um, I was just uh, down at the International UFO Congress, uh, which actually went pretty well. I, I sold some books and helped uh, David Childress, my publisher, sell a bunch of books. And, uh, you know, of course, you can uh, listen to the Paracast, uh, theparacast.com, P-A-R-A-C-A-S-T. Listen to me bitching moan at Gene. <laughs> um, we have a complete archive that's uh, free and available for downloading and for streaming. Uh, almost 600 shows, including anybody who's anybody in the field. And <clears throat> and uh, and then, of course, my website is our strange planet. O U R strange planet dot com. Uh, there's some recent articles uh, up there that I've written on modern dinosaurs, uh, reptilians. Uh, you know, possible ability of reptilian life forms. Yeah, you know, uh, we didn't really get into that here on this program. We actually just right? kept it real and organic, and, and we right. deciphered <laughs> through the web of lies. And then one of the, the most extensive uh, articles you'll find on Skinwalkers uh, is also on there that I, I published uh, fairly recently. So uh, all my books are available there, um, the three uh, Mysterious Valley books. Uh, the two first ones uh, are in e-versions. They're out of print. But Secrets of the Mysterious Valley, the, the Stalking the Tricksters and uh, my latest book, Stalking the Herd, are all available there. And I'll send some little, uh, some little cool little things along with the, with the signed copy and, uh, you'll be helping support the process and I appreciate it. Very nice, Chris. Once again, thank you for being here and I will touch base with you again in the near future. Super. All right. Cool, man. All right, Have Chris. A good, Michael. Take care. All right. Take care. And that was Chris O'Brien, folks. My goodness. I don't even have the words, to be honest with you. That was a very fun interview. Love that. Such a great time here on End of Days, the Michael Deacon program. And, of course, that's michaeldeacon.com or endofdaysradio.org, whichever you prefer. You have some options now. And, of course, please remember, if you have any funny impersonations of myself or... Other listeners, please feel free to send those in at michaelendofdays at gmail.com. Or if you have any comments or concerns, I'd love to hear those. Send those in. I was actually going to read some listener emails here. However, we are running out of time, I see. I like to keep these weekday shows somewhat short. And if you're not aware by now, yeah, we are live. Or I am live, rather. If you don't know, that's probably because you don't check out the official website. And I can't, I can't stop mentioning it. You gotta go on endofdaysradio.org or michaeldeacon.com. Hit subscribe 
on the YouTube channel there. All the links are up there on the website, by the way. Would really appreciate if you go and do all of that there. I'm getting tired of being asked all the time if I'm going live here or there. Like I said, all the information is on the website. You just got to go in there. Of course, Facebook, End of Days Radio, that's there too. Of course, Twitter, another very popular form. Go ahead and add me there and you'll find more updates on the show. I did have a lot of things to say here, but again, we ran kind of late and that's my fault. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. But I will return this Saturday live again. Don't worry. You could find that on the TuneIn radio app. And a lot of people have been reporting issues with Safari. I'm going to have to recommend all of you out there to use um Firefox or Google Chrome. Safari is bad. It's not going to work, folks. I'm sorry. I'm not sure why. Safari just doesn't play well with the TuneIn radio website for whatever reason. It's too bad. I do want to thank all of you out there who listen live and, of course, those who will listen to the podcast version of this show. I do appreciate that. So once again, thank you, folks, for being here. You'll see me again soon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holmes right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should have existed before 726. Oh, Grammy. I like Grammy. I'm going to keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. You guys are, you guys are really big. Yeah, Mr. Bruce, that. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. It's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the buttons, and then you say, you're fucking. Look up, you know, you're not smoking time about midnight. That's what I want. Just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have From one of the most here. incredibly well-rounded shows. Uh, other than, 22 years old, still virgin. Guess what, motherfucker? successfully at least